0: Okay. and here we go my name is chris davis this is strange in podcasting we have a saturday morning edition and today we have we're lucky enough to talk to josh berker he's in new york and he has innovated a, a lot of maker ed projects but also a lot of specifically turtle art so today we'll be talking about the original seymour papards turtle art and some of the projects that josh is doing with it so Josh, who are you? What's your what's your position?
1: What, what do you do? Yeah, thanks, Chris, for having me. I met Chris at Constructing Modern Knowledge a few years ago. This is my first year at Marymount School in Manhattan, uh, where I teach sixth, seventh, and eighth grade girls. I've taken over the fabrication lab that James Deck started there, so we have a variety of. of really cool tools and supplies uh, that we explore together. The classes that I teach there are all creative technology is, is the name of the class. So I have a pretty wide range and, and ability to make of that what I will. Um, so this year, you know, my, my first year, we've been exploring um, circuitry. We've been exploring microcontrollers and robots and programming and, um, various fabrication techniques automatons um so we've been having you know all sorts of fun and, on all sorts of levels but kind of the common thread through the the three grades is turtle art and and exposing them to that idea so currently in class 6 we're working using the, the web va- based version of, of turtle art to create designs in the spirit of medieval tiles and and that's a collaborative project with with class 6 art for the big medieval festival that the girls will be having class 7 spent first semester uh, really immersed in a deep dive of, of logo programming through art logo which is a browser based version of logo also programmed by Brian Silverman but it's text based and we use that in conjunction with uh, the Logo Turtle, which is Arduino-based floor robot that Brian and Eric Nauman and I invented back in, in 2015, sort of remixing somebody else's project, the 3D printed parts from that and, and changing the microcontroller and, and changing the actual operating system it was using to Logo. And then Class 8 just finished up a project that Aaron Riley helped me with, with uh, edge acrylic that uh, I led the the eighth grade girls through um, a series of exercises in in art logo where we programmed organic forms. So we started with grasses and then moved to um, stems and leaves and then flowers and and then trees. And then what could you, you build with those tools that we could use a laser to etch and Three millimeter acrylic, and then build a little wooden box that contained a circuit that the girls constructed with three LEDs and switch to turn it on. So, Logo really permeates and and weaves in and out throughout my my curriculum. I think because as as Seymour Papert put it, like Logo is was built to teach you to think about thinking, and so I, I hope in the the projects that I'm I'm doing with, with turtle art and other variations of logo beyond the, the cool designs you're creating. You're really learning how to break down a, a problem into manageable steps and build tools that allow you to, to solve the problem as it were.
0: Let's back up just a little bit because yeah. you, you've covered a book's I worth. I covered it. a lot of ground. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just outlined the table of contents of your, of your next book. Um, let's go back to Artemis Papert I think that's the daughter of Seymour Papert and Brian Silverman your colleagues that you work with and I I didn't know that you were at Marymount's because last time I talked to you you were at a different school and James Deck has moved to a different school so I see there's been a New York shuffling around but yeah it's pretty
1: like um, you know it's just like kind of family and yeah when somebody moves somebody else has to like you know, move their seat and <laughs> shuffle. Yeah, <the> water.
0: <laughs> I've been to that lab uh, of James uh-huh. that James Deck set up there in the middle yeah. school, and very cool what he had stocked it with. But it sounds like you have uh, taken it to a new level. I didn't know. Well, like we
1: we have existed. different, you know, we have different skill sets, and and yeah. so like this year, it's really been a, a process of like, well, what is here, you know, and what what can we use and and what scales well, you know, like I, for just as a quick, like tangent, you know, like that, that's a big part of like managing a lab like that is, is what tool can you, you scale with? So the vinyl cutter, for example, used to be a very popular tool for building stickers and whatnot. And I could see the real value in that, but I have a hard time kind of figuring out how do you keep 19 girls occupied when you're cutting the the 20th girls design, you know, and I haven't yet quite gotten my head around, you know, obviously I need to sort of stack all the designs in one cut, and whatnot, but, um, but yeah, you know, it, it it's been it's been cool inheriting his lab and kind of seeing how he built it and and thinking about where where it'll be in ten years, you know, down the road.
0: I think you touched on something else that may be important to mention too, and that when schools are setting up these labs, it's very important to think through and hire through uh, the individual skill set. You know, everybody comes with such a different box of maker tools and programming tools. That the the closest I've seen to this is some of the MYP and uh, DP design classes, mm-hmm. which are often very open and very dependent on what the individual brings. So if yes. someone's very strong in wood cutting, then the kids might do a lot of wood cutting and having that kind of flexibility. And as you said, it's about getting at thinking through complex problems, you know, the Minsky-Papert model of breaking one problem down into a bunch of individual problems that that's what you're really getting at. And I Mm -hmm. find the discussion often devolves into engineering standards or whatever the school is pushing for curriculum. But I think in the lab setup, it should be very much kind of flower out from what does this person bring and what can they set up across classes and grade levels? Um, Let's back up even more and talk about low floors, wide walls and high ceilings and Mm -hmm. why turtle art might be a great entry point for a lot of students into coding and making and thinking through complex problems.
1: Yeah. So I think the greatest value of Turtle Art is that it's an honest micro world and that you aren't going to use Turtle Art to program a game, for example. Like Turtle Art does one thing really well. It helps you to produce art. It's Brian Silverman jokes that once they got the interface to fit on a, a postcard. They knew that they, they had, you know, the UI figured out. You know, it, it's just a, an incredibly simple tool that 12 years later I'm still doing new things with. It's not limited in, in its scope, but it's not intimidating in, in its initial usage. You know, one of the hurdles was scratch, which admittedly has done an amazing job of scaffolding it, you know, for the beginner and when you first start, like it launches you into a tutorial. Scratch is still can still be intimidating because the number of blocks. The the blocks and turtle art are all focused at helping you to create art. And that that's that. Um, so so that's what the low floor is all about. But as I say, you know, 12 years later, I'm still able to do new things with the tool. Brian asked me a while back, you know, how long did it take you to get Good at turtle art, as it were. And thinking about it, I told him it took about four years, you know, of, of working with it before, you know, I was creating something that I felt was uniquely mine and I was able to capture what it was that I saw in my head and produce that. And I think too, like part of it, because of the position I am in too, like part of that experience and skill and ability was being able to show other people how to do it, you know, being able to teach people how to use turtle art. So that's the crux of why I returned to turtle art again and again. And then I've I've incorporated art logo into my tool set just because I think learning to express yourself in a text-based programming end of, of logo. I think it it sort of encourages a bit more craftiness, as it were. I see when some of my students who into the the art logo experience like are still writing super long procedures that, that span the, the length of the screen, whereas the aim is to do it do it elegantly in, in maybe 15 lines of code. And so that kind of takes the programming to the next level in terms of, well, how do you think of, of what you're doing as expressing something that expresses over time? And, and how can you be elegant about that sort of is the reward of getting to that next level of uh, programming. And then even, you know, like um, we'll discuss later, you know, when we talk more about microcontrollers, but the the limitations imposed therein, working with a microcontroller, there's a difference in the type of art you can produce with a floor turtle versus what you can produce on the screen. and And that's an interesting
0: challenge. I have two next questions, but let's take one at a time the people that are creating Turtle Art and the modern tools that we're creating it on. So for example, our pretty big interface that kids can have access to if they have that in a computer lab. Is there any notion that Turtle Art would expand into taking advantage of bigger screen interfaces, finding ways to take advantage of like basically just the physical things that we're looking at it on?
1: I think you mentioned that that you'd installed Turtle Art. So you all might be still running the, the Java desktop version, but definitely run it in the web browser
0: now Um, so i have one from the web browser uh i have to actually look at my notes to see which link we're using but there's there's one that creates a nice it's the same exact same blocks
1: Mm -hmm. um
0: and so that's what we're moving to next because it saves as a svg file which is i guess well yeah
1: that's one of the options as you can export an svg so paula has sort of um led the development on that end, working with uh, Eric and Aaron specifically Mm -hmm. to, to, okay, what does the file need to successfully laser cut it? Brian isn't particularly interested in... in, um, and 3d printed object just that he, he thinks that they they have a certain cheapness to them <laughs> he's and, a, and a,
0: a purist of the pixel a purist of the pixel
1: he he appreciates the laser cut work you know and what what you can do with laser cut acrylic or or even you know trying not to singe the wood too much but he he appreciates that aesthetic a bit more than like the obvious layers and the the finish of, of the 3d printed object but so yeah that's another advantage of the web-based one is um, it has the built-in tool to allow you to produce the workflow to fabricate.
0: So I'm just experimented the first two sessions. We've only had two in the lab on turtle art, but prior to moving to turtle art, kids actually played with Sphero bolts. And mm-hmm. so they block coded and you know they have a, the physicality of the robot moving around, the nice embodiment of them getting down the floor and tracing out the roots and stuff which to me was ideal for learning geometrical shapes and angle measurement and parallel lines and all the concepts that are in our geometry curriculum. Mm-hmm.
1: What
0: are your, I, I, just before we went onto the recording, you were talking about different ways you move it off the screen into the physical. My students mm-hmm. had studied the videos that you can find on YouTube of Seymour Papert and the original logos were actually plotters and they were robots mm-hmm. that, that moved around. What, what is your process or suggestions for moving it into the physical you mentioned laser cutting you mentioned 3d printing and -hmm. i think you mentioned some robotics there as well
1: yeah well i mean let's like let's like start at sort of the most basic part is that like the whole reason why there's the the turtle is to relate it to the the student's physical form and the the student's physical body and and place in space and so um Dan and, and Molly uh, Lynn Watt in teaching with Logo, really emphasized the need to put yourself in the turtles shoes. In the past twelve years of teaching logo and, and turtle art, you know, I, I tell students like you should really purposefully get up and move about the room. I'm not asking them to just run around, but like, you know, put yourself in the turtle's shoes if you're trying to figure out how you're going to plot your way through this design. And then, you know, have a friend like note the, the movements you're making. So um, trying to sort of bridge that gap between the screen and the, the, the real world in which the student inhabits, you know, has always been a, a big part of Logo, you know, and, and a part that that I think oftentimes gets missed, you know, that, that like invite the students to to put themselves in the turtle shoes and and physically move around. Yeah. So in terms of like um, you know, making the transition from, from screen to, to, to a physical, you know, bits to atoms workflow and whatnot, I think like the biggest, the, my first breakthrough with that was definitely like figuring out weight, like you I could take like the the digital file that turtle art is creating in terms of fabrication. like what really kind of excited me about it, it was the tile project was you're helping kids to create a project, uh, a tool rather that allows them to create work that they'd otherwise be incapable of creating. So in this case, they would not have the capability to freestyle the, the, symmetry and repetition, you know, as beautifully as they can, if they create this tool that is 3D printed or, or laser cut and, and used to stamp the, the clay. And then the far end of the spectrum from the screen to, to the physicality is is using a floor turtle. And so back the first year that I made the decision with third graders, like let's do like a really deep dive with logo and, and turtle art. I managed to get Terrapin Logos ProBots which are little sports car-based, uh, sports car-looking uh, robots that that run logo. And on a keypad, you can press a forward and then a, how many forwards and whatnot. And so we, we incorporated that in, into the learning and in a couple of different ways. We did, um, you know, we had roll, big rolls of paper. So I drew a number of different courses and they had to plot their way through a course. And, and it was kind of the first time in their lives using a, a yardstick and a protractor to, to practical use, you know, like suddenly it made sense, like needing to know why you, how many degrees you're turning, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and the ones who really excelled at it, like the challenge was to actually fit the car into a marked parking spot at the end. And we also, you know, created art with it later on. And in, in the end of 2014, I decided I really wanted a floor turtle. In 2015, and I had built a floor turtle at my first constructing modern, modern knowledge using Lego RCX uh, bricks, the, the big yellow brick um, that you could load micro world's logo onto it. But that w- that was a little awkward, like that that product was aging out and beyond the version of Mac OS that was aging out, you couldn't talk to the brick anymore. And so that was when we found the, the Arduino um, project that ran a really bastardized version of Logo within the Arduino IDE, and and the Arduino IDE it is what it is, and and it's it's great in many regards, but again, like it doesn't make as much sense to me as as does Logo, and mm-hmm. and as such, it's more difficult for me to try to teach. So yeah, you know, we found this this version of of floor robot, and then I approached Brian about it and said, what would it take to Deport actual logo to this. And he was up for the challenge and we recruited Eric Um, to do that. And we had to change the microcontroller. So it had a serial line uh, in it for the, for logo and Eric and Brian did the programming and I did the documentation of it all. And, you know, and that's kind of the progression of my going from bits to atoms, as it were. I hinted at the beginning, like with class seven at Marymount this year, like we, we did do that progression from the screen to the floor turtle. and, And that in turn opens up many discussions of like what's a good screen design versus what is the floor turtle capable of, of producing and, and oh. how to temper your expectations. Yeah, to. no, I like that.
0: I like that part. And so in fact, some of my kids, you were talking about the purpose of the tools. And yeah. so as soon as some of my kids, more of the artistically inclined ones knew that we we're going to be playing with shapes, they already had things in their head they wanted to create. So one really wanted to start with a hexagon and ended up making a kind of bracelet image with the hexagon and this is like on the second class <laughs> so yeah. I was very you know impressed when I gave them a little we called it uh, rhombus bricolage time since rhombus mm-hmm. was the shape we were working on and just let them go wild with it and see what they yeah. can create out of that in a very short bit of time they had created I mean they had the basic idea of creating functions I think I'm saying that mm-hmm. correctly like creating tools within the code that they could then include in their primary line of code.
1: Yeah, they would call them procedures in Logo.
0: So they're making a procedure, sometimes a couple of procedures, and then they're making yep. those within their principal line of code, I'm sure. I'm
1: and the master procedure.
0: In the master procedure. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Cynthia Solomon, who was one of the inventors of Logo, explained it, yeah, you're building small tools that then you can combine in a, in, you know, a, a container tool that, that accomplishes what you're, you're seeking out to do.
0: Now I'm having them, when we work with Sphero bolts, which is our closest a- approximation of what you're talking about, um, mm-hmm. I have them plot out line segments, like post-it A, post-it B, and then draw out their shape and then take a whiteboard marker. We can draw on our floors, they erase yeah. really easily. So they get the actual plot of the shape. Does your turtle plot, does it draw or, or is it just the, the motion and the movement?
1: No, it plots like there's a it, it has a servo on it that it can raise and lower the pen. And, oh. and so so the way that we the way it was interesting, like some girls did the work on the, the laptop first. They were partnered up. And, and so some would would, you know, kind of brainstorm it on the computer and then take that code. And, and there were a few changes that had to happen. But you couldn't set X, Y on the floor turtle. That would be you physically picking it up and, and changing it. And so that was one discussion that occurred. Like maybe with the floor turtle, you don't try to do this all in one shot. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's run in in segments that you're repositioning the turtle as needed. And then um, you know, other girls just jumped right onto the the floor turtle and know it and and like worked with the limitations that were there. So what are what are the limitations? Well, the microcontroller can't do floating point math. So in non like nerd speak, there's no decimals. So once, you know, you start doing the math with it, where there's a decimal, it's gonna round off. And and so, you know, maybe the more repetitions you're doing, kind of the farther it's going to drift from your original intention, you keep your design according, you know, you plan the design accordingly, that that maybe instead of repeating 50 times, it repeats 25 times and, and you, you plan accordingly. It, it's like on um, Turtle Art, like a lot of the girls, a lot of students like immediately grab the forever block. And definitely with the older Java version, it, it, was, it was easy to, to kind of lock up the, the program by telling the turtle to do something weird forever. But, you know, I always ask them like, well, before you do it forever, like maybe try doing it a hundred times <laughs> and, and then and see, yeah. you know, what happens and then, and then scale accordingly. But um yeah. yeah you know, Introducing like, that
0: forever loop to the kids was sort of a mistake at the beginning just because they just wanted to do forever loops. However, our next unit in science is, energy and motion and so we can talk about why your battery will run out eventually or well
1: see that's and that's another interesting like difference between your screen turtle and your floor turtle is friction uh-huh. the batteries are wearing down you know and you don't have that on on a screen turtle so you yeah. know it can make it can make for some interesting um, discussions and observations and serendipitous discoveries that, that might occur. Yeah. Um, I really liked,
0: well, a couple of things that you just said there. One is I really liked working with the physical first before we moved to the screen and the kids mm-hmm. immediately caught like, wow, in one hour of screen time, I did two weeks of robot time. Yeah, they, they were just able to prototype their code a lot faster. They don't have to do the runnings and stuff. And then to the exactness of it, the, the sphero balls always have, a, you know, the friction on the floor, you never yeah. get like a, an exact plot. So that's another factor there mm-hmm. as well. The other part was that serendipitous learning and how to validate that. And so I approached that just through their reflections that when we, we kind of make a list of concepts that were active during the lab, and we, mm-hmm. we, we preset some of those, like in this lab, we're, you know, we're obviously going to come across this, this, and this, and we have a math talk and we make a list of our concepts and then post, if they discovered new things, we revisit, they post it, and then they write a lab review where they're supposed to sketch out and use as many of these terms in their lab as possible. So that when things do come up, which they always do, we can bring them into the discussion as well, whether it's our curricular trajectory or or not. And so I Mm -hmm. think that's a super important part to communicate to those that don't know about this kind of learning or those that are so used to designing learning that's already prescribed, the students will have this experience. You have worked in some interesting transdisciplinary spaces or interdisciplinary spaces, and I'm not sure, are you a math teacher? What is your position?
1: Right now, I'm a creative technology teacher.
0: Which is great. So you ride between different disciplines. So you have to work with teachers, I'm sure, in getting them to flex and pull. Do you lead with one discipline? Like, are you basically working off of kind of one curricular objective and then the others are subsidiary to that? Or how do you manage that?
1: So I'm probably a bit more loose than a a typical teacher might approach this just because I'm on something like my 23rd year of like working in various positions with technology with kids. And, and so I guess what my idea was this year with the, the three different grade levels that I teach was exploring big topics and then how can you best, you know, what kind of projects best support those explorations. So I don't know. The way that I'm kind of approaching it is like from both a craft standpoint, I'm really trying to emphasize that you don't, you don't need a PhD to do what I do, <laughs> you know, as it were, like kids can do. Like my students can do what I do, you know, mm-hmm. um, because the, the floor is low enough. And that's not to say that, like, it, it's not like difficult at times. And, and like, you know, it's not to say that, like, I throw them into the deep end of the pool. Like there's lots of scaffolding and support. The other really big point, you know, like my master's action research project back in two, f- 2015 illuminated me too was was the whole concept of aesthetic choice. That projects where you allow for aesthetic choice by the student are the ones that are going to land and make the most connection with the student, particularly girls, as the research showed, you know, that that I was doing back in 2015, trying to get girls involved in a tech club that had become, you know, purely like a boy nerd zone. And so, so you know, projects like the Edgelit acrylic art logo design, you know, we're working towards a common end and, and we have like, you know, a, a common tool set and materials that we're working with. But, you know, the choice of the lights, that they, the color of the LEDs and the, the design that they, they chose. And then also too, like, you know, swinging back to sort of the serendipitous discoveries and how do you capture those and capitalize them on them? You know, that was like a, a big part of um, the art logo work w- with Class 8 for the, the edgelet Acrylic was I try and speak for as short of a time as possible, but, but introduce a, a, a new tool, you know, those lessons um, and then give them the time and space to play with the tool and see what they can make of it and show their friends what they can make of it. But in each of those classes, you know, as as they made those discoveries, that got incorporated into the text file for that particular class. So by the end, we had three different text files with everything from the grass to the trees and all of the, the weird, fun discoveries that each class had made or, you know, particular students in each class had made. Were captured and there and there was an opportunity to be like well look what 8a you know or look what this student in in this class you know share it with a different section and and sort of inspire them and to either remix it or or push themselves to come up with something entirely different that, that knowing that like oh, Mr. Berker's going to show that off to the other classes. I like to show off. So here's an opportunity, you know, to, to, to share my work. So, and, and you know, the, the same goes for like the photos that I take to document the students' work that end up back on the instructional website, you know, that I build out for each project. So, you know, they see, hey, wait, that's my design, you know, like scrolling past it for our next lesson, like you've added that already. And, you know, next year's students will see, oh, wait, that that's the girl who's ahead of me now like you know so so showing that their work is their work is integral in the lesson you know that that it's not the lesson isn't something set in stone but it their ideas and designs and concepts that we're exploring together and their discoveries are as much part of the lesson as the knowledge that i'm attempting to impart as it were
0: there's a lot of trust and faith from whoever hired you that you're just going to produce cool stuff and that your documentation through your products is validating all of this. I am I'm just kind of assuming that's a part of it. Do you have any suggestions?
1: Yeah. I mean, it must be like, I had a really good demo lesson. I actually used turtle art, you know, to, to demo um, and did, did like an exploration. We built a polygon machine and, you know, what can you build with polygons and whatnot? So, yeah, I think like, you know, my success over the the past, I'd say since 2010 is when I really got it together and, and like switched my mindset towards this whole maker education project-based learning. Um, you know, like, yeah, I think I built like a reputation that that like I can sort of put out there and and, and people respond to it and realize, yeah, this guy does know, you know, what he's talking about and we can, we can give him pretty free reign to do it, you know? And I'm lucky in that regard.
0: Yeah, no, I'm more thinking like I'm not an administrator, but if, if I was thinking through that and please excuse the weed eater, that's
1: right outside. No, my no, window. No, no. <laughs> Oprah, I had a, I had a, a leaf flower going
0: next door. Um, is well, one is my... like looking at sort of teachers portfolios of what projects they've done. know with their kids that kind of like speaks to what kind of product you can expect from that particular instructor and i I guess my other question was more about the making learning visible part Mm -hmm. do you have any methods or strategies for capturing student reflections or capturing process of what they're making to explain the complexity of a lot of cognition and problem solving It's you
1: know i wish i did and like that, that is one of my shortcomings i would say is that like we're like the class time goes and we're so caught up in it that often got, that that more often than not, there isn't that time built in to, to like, you know, there's there's sharing that's happening as the class goes, but it will be nice to sort of have that reflection. I have I, I have tried this school year to build in at the end of a project, you know, just using a Google form to capture like what was the Easiest part of this project, you know. What What are you most proud of? What was the most difficult part? Just to capture that, at least for myself, you know, to to reflect on, like, well, you know, if if I ran ran this again, how would I change it? A lot of the work, too, though. I I have had the the students as they finish it, document it, you know, use their own laptops to take a short video of of the thing in in use and and explain its use. So, you know, there, there are those opportunities for, for them to, to share in that regard. And then a lot of the tools like, you know, with class seven right now, we're building making musical instruments that ultimately like the entire table group will be creating songs together like original songs together so the whole process is like sharing the whole project is, is resulting in, in sharing among your small group and then the larger group even if it isn't necessarily getting formally captured there, there's a lot of like observation that's happening like from the table to the larger classroom you know to spilling out into the the, the
0: school itself If you're working in an environment that already kind of respects that and knows it's happening, then maybe it's there's not the need to make it so explicit. But what I've been trying to do is show, one, how we capture students' thoughts and feelings as they move through a project, and two, how they transfer that between learning spaces. So yeah, they're working in STEM lab for a week, and they're doing writer's workshop. A lot of the skill sets are very similar. How do we work in a team? How do we build trust? How do we communicate and define what our problems are before we go into the build? Could be drawing it out or could be doing an editing and revising sketch before you go onto the document. So their plans are very concrete. Yeah. And that's what kids have come up with. You know, they sort of did Google's Aristotle project from a few years ago where they tried to identify like what makes teams work. And they, in two weeks, came up with more or less a fourth grade version of the same conclusion, which I thought was kind of cool. Let's uh, talk about sacred geometries. You're talking about making medieval tiles. So that would have been a time period where object and shape had very particular meanings across different cultures. If you look at Islamic culture or even some of the earlier Christian designs, the sacred geometries are very present. How do you connect or do you have any thoughts or strategies or anything? I'm not even
1: even gonna presume to know. anything.
0: (laughs) No, I I was more thinking more like, how do you connect like, meaning into the design into their designs like so if they're making geometrical shapes is it just a cool retinal feeling experience or do you ever like try to take it further
1: well so with the with the class eight project this year and, and the the edge lit acrylic like that was that project was done under the umbrella of what i called a cybernetic garden you know that, that came from a richard broadigan poem and so my heavy-handed thought was we'll explore various organic forms through turtle through art logo programming. And you know some of those forms like end up being very geometric. you know like we can make a very geometric looking flower but in the end like the choice became the students like what they did they could have taken the tool set they could have taken the tool and gone any way with with it that they wanted and i'd say out of the i'm going to say 60 students just there's 60 students in class eight you know the actual number is 57 or 56 or something but out of the the total class i would say one student kind of was like, okay, I have this tool now. I'm going to do something completely different. And she did like a spiral, like a very complex spiral spills over on itself and whatnot. And the rest just took what we had built, you know, and we had some cool looking trees and some cool looking flowers with stems and, and leaves and, um, you know, some purely geometric forms, you know, like it, it, it's, that was an interesting experiment and in like how heavy handed can you be? You know, how how much, how directed do you try to make this project? So like the tile project, you know, like, again, like there's some parameters in it, you know, like your tile will be fabricated five inches square. So, and you're going to use that to stamp an object that you'll be painting. And so if, if it is too complex, like you won't be able to paint it, like you'll be there in, in July. So that sort of begins to, inform some of the aesthetic choices you know your pen really needs to be at probably at least eight versus the the default four you need a kind of a wider pen so you aren't running you know you aren't um, because with this particular project we're laser cutting it so you aren't burning up the material you know if your if your lines are too thin there won't be any material left. again that informs the aesthetic choice so there are some like kind of you you know you could almost say like heavy-handed, Limitations that some of these projects require, but then I've also done projects where it's it's screen based or like where you're making a an iron-on transfer for a shirt, where you can more or less capture what's on the screen, um, and you know there's going to be a little difference in the the colors between the screen and what your printer is able to produce. The limitations are are a little less harsh. Um, doing that kind of work. But that's part of the, the hard fun struggle of it. You know, like even if you're looking at like a, a project like Turtle Stitch, where you're programming to, to embroider, there's choices you have to make in that because of the limitation of the materials and sewing over the same point in the fabric will, will eventually tear the fabric. So your design has to, to work accordingly. That's part of the, the hard fun of it.
0: Well, let's talk about microcontrollers since you've designed one. What are- Well, I
1: designed a project around
0: one, yeah. I mean, you were you on the team to design one. Uh, people that are interested, and I know you've written a couple of books on makerspaces uh, with mm-hmm. Silvia Martinez, and you've been to Constructing Modern Knowledge, I don't know how many times. So you're very much in the know of where to move to microcontrollers. If you're yeah. moving from turtle art to microcontroller, what are your what what should people consider? Because I know there's a lot of very higher end commercial things like Sphero Bolt, um, but maybe people don't have to spend 177 dollars on one robot.
1: Yeah, so I guess like the I guess the biggest consideration is is understanding what a microcontroller is and what it can and can't do. I know at, at constructing modern knowledge for a number of, of summers, it was, you know, Arduino was kind of the, the the hot word that people were sent to CMK to figure out what this Arduino was and how they could bring it back to their schools and make it make it do some kind of magic. And and again, you know, the Arduino IDE it, it it's based on on C and it's you know, there's a lot of weird brackets and stuff and it's not really human readable, and so. A lot of they're the not going to be
0: they're not going to be learning C anytime
1: soon. <laughs> well, I mean, what it ended up being is like a lot of projects. Like you end up trying to find a project that's pretty similar to what you're achieving, and then you copy and paste the code without really understanding what happens, and 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 then you hope it compiles. And if it doesn't compile, then it becomes a a search for the arcane error message that the IDE is thrown at you, and you know so it, so more than anything it becomes frustrating so i guess like you know before before you decide you need to get a microcontroller involved like understand what a microcontroller is and and all it is is basically is like a really smart switch that you're using it to to either respond to events through a sensor you've connected to it or to to react to events through outputs like motors that that you've connected to it. And so, you know, real understanding that, then, you know, the projects can kind of begin to to naturally evolve. So, one project that I want to do gear to kind of wrap up the the end of the school year is a, a robot petting zoo. And and I think I'm going to use the um, the uh, hummingbird bird brain Technology, the hummingbird that you know is is a microcontroller that has a nice um, scratch-like programming interface and snap that shouldn't be too overwhelming. But, you know, recently I saw somebody on Twitter had done a, a robot petting zoo and they they just described it so succinctly that it needed to have a sensor and it needed to have a movement. If you think about it that way as, okay, you know, like, well, my my sense could be a light sensor and as somebody's shadow falls over it, then it causes the movement to happen. And so kind of recognizing like you need not have something super complex to begin with but like you know an arduino project like that that's accomplishable it offers like a chance for whimsy i mean the really i think the only beyond like using microcontrollers in conjunction with logo you know whether that's the the logo floor turtle or i do a lot of work with light logo which is you know running a version of logo on an arduino that's connected to to neopixels that you can program still or animating designs and that and, and start storytelling through, through light. The way that I use microcontrollers mostly in my project is to, to do really low-fi audio playback, you know, purposely low-fi audio playback on like a, a, a series that I have on, call it, that I've called AirSats Nature. Where, you know, it's kind of a dystopian take on nature. The most accomplished microcontroller project, I think, is robot Josh, that is is on my blog that, you know, is a 3D printed head and hands of, of mine that, that are on a hacked toy that, you know, are controlled by two different microcontrollers. One that's that's playing the music that I dance to, and the other that's controlling the motors from from the toy that make me dance. And, you know, the idea of that is that that I can now have somebody Busk for me, but nobody car- carries change anymore. So maybe the next thing is to hook it up to like a, a square, um, you know, stripe reader. Yeah, I, you know, like microcontrollers can be great fun, but they can also be like great points of frustration. So I guess like before you decide you need a, to do the microcontroller, like what is it, you know, that you're looking to do with it, you know, and like, a, like I mentioned Light logo, like that's a really good use for a microcontroller. You're turning on and off lights, but you're doing it like you're doing it with logo. so you're you're venturing into that realm of learning to think about thinking and how uh, do you do it concisely, you know in a tech space language. Um, you know I, I did a big project once upon a time building a, a Galileo ramp for for one of um, my collaborating science teachers where we used um, snap for Arduino again because like, the, the learning curve was lower than than trying to figure out how to do it all in the in the Arduino I- IDE. And, and that was, you know, like we got it to be pretty, pretty reliable, but it was a lot of like crossing your fingers and incantations, you know, to to get it going. So something polished like the Sphero or some of these polished robots are are a great idea because they they lower the floor to entry.
0: Well it certainly but- gave us access to a lot of physicality right out of the box.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. When I looked
0: at the price of what it was, I was like, well, "Should we be touching these things?" Um, right. But it, yeah, I mean, the animation thing—the two lights—you have a front light, a backlight, and mm-hmm. so what we're moving into this week is documentation of some of the flowers they've created out of geometric nice. shapes, mm-hmm. and then we'll take a open a camera shutter and try to capture the full design Yeah, so that'll lead very nicely into our unit on energy um Mm -hmm. basically just how energy works Um, so all of these things can come into play there the the circuitry you're talking about the my controllers i I would definitely want to get them in some kind of hands on thing we have Mm -hmm. some already developed it's like a kind of out of the kit stem program or stem like materials of a a windmill and they designed the blades so they can like 3d 3d cut those and we have Mm -hmm. a lot to work with as far as how to incorporate all these different elements and
1: look at at Mike Carroll's scrappy circuits um, which is a a book that that Sylvia just helped put out but the website has all the materials As Mm. the book that was one of his conditions was I want to keep this curriculum free You know there there, there's a bit more in the book, but like the basis is all on the website, and that you know that's what I did with class eight this year was like okay what's a circuit? Well let's you know and and Mike's idea was you can take a a one dollar little tea light fake candle and and dissect the parts from that and Mm -hmm. and basically build your beginning of of what turns into what little bits is is as a product you know like a modular. Circuit construction kit that, that you're building with binder clips and and alligator clips and and parts. So you know, definitely definitely look at that because I think that's really empowering for the kids. That like you know it, there there's no black box involved in that. Like you can see the circuitry. You you're you're building the circuitry, and when it doesn't work, it's because you know, you've reversed the polarity of the LED or something. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's the lasting lesson right there that some of the more polished products may not reveal.
0: Oh, no, that's perfect. I mean, yeah, I would love to pick your brain more more for these things, but maybe you could point us in the right direction. You have two books on making with um, Sylvia Martinez. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned uh, Scrappy Circuits. Mm -hmm. One, how do people catch up with what you've done and what you're doing now
1: so once upon a time my blog was was a very good way to sort of keep up with what I was doing but then I figured out I could write books and make money from sharing how I do it and so you know I I did the two books under the the um, constructing modern knowledge imprint and with Sylvia as my editor and those are great but like technology moves you know and so even the projects in, in book one, the projects in book two are they're still alive, like they still work, but like you know, some of them, like you know, the hardware's aged out, like you'd have a hard mm-hmm. time getting a PICO board from book one running the way you know I describe it in book one. Though I'm still really bummed that nobody has done, you know, more interactive dungeons, like like in book one. So, so you know, I, I think the books are still um totally. Vital and and I, I think people still get a big kick out of the books and like learn a lot of really good skills. Um, I'd say that the the blog like I, I don't keep up with it as much as I, as I used to. Part of it is that like the projects that I work on for my personal enjoyment have become so strange that it's really like you know for my personal satisfaction. You know, like like I think one of the late last posts and and there's like you know there's some posts in my head that i need to to commit the time to get to get on on there but like you know one of the the, the latest posts on it was like a sonic sabotage device around the the at tiny 85 and and playing around with this idea of william burroughs and like broadcasting snippets of sounds in, in public to subliminally influence people so <laughs> i so you know like the at tiny 85 is a really cool piece of hardware like super cheap, like it's you know basically an Arduino on a chip that you know you they're they're so cheap you can kind of ditch them places and 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 have it but so yeah you know that's a, a weird project and like you know I could document the heck out of it and have other people build them but to what end like maybe one other person's gonna build it. So I'd say the best place to sort of keep track of what what it is I'm up to would be Twitter um and and it's there that i'm sharing a lot of like my student successes and and explorations and what they're doing i share a lot of like the art that i work on um in art logo and and turtle art um and then you know like every now and again like a a a good reflection like um you know this actually times out really well like i there's a a good thread It, it was actually i think kind of the first thread I've done, and I've been on Twitter since 2007. Um, and so the first thread, I, I, long thread I've done, talking about an experience that happened yesterday where uh, a student I'd taught in 2015 and 16 in my, my kind of gap year between jobs, I started an after-school logo programming club at a charter school in Bridgeport um at a a middle school and out of all the kids who I worked with that that school year one kid like persisted through the school year um and ended up uh, building one of the, the first logo turtles with me and then ended up deciding to ask me if would it be cool if he entered the logo turtle in the talent show (laughs) <laughs> at the end of the school year and I was like heck yeah <laughs> and got a, and we got a document camera and a, a projector and put a sheet up in the gym and we had kids on their feet cheering this robot at the talent <laughs> show and 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 so I had last seen him in 2017 he had changed schools he'd started at a stem school I had changed laptops so I helped him get the logo turtle software going on that laptop and then, you know, a few weeks ago, I was wondering, like, where, where did Isaiah go? Like, I wonder what that kid's up to. Like, you know, he's got to be out of high school by now. And then two days ago, he texts me out of the blue Hey, Mr. Josh, is this still your phone number? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, what's going on? He's like, I was showing the, the logo turtle to one of my mom's students, and I want to get it going again. So <laughs> yesterday, he came over, and, um, you know, we ended up moving his breadboarded logo turtle to, to one of the PCBs that I had had manufactured and and uh, you know like had a good talk as, as as I worked on it for him and whatnot, got it running on his laptop. and he was going to share it with the fifth grader that his mom tutors and and you know is interested in robots. so and and meanwhile, Isaiah' is like gearing up and studying to take a test to start the road to becoming an electrician. So you know, as I say in the Twitter thread, my wife's a much better teacher than I am. But and, and she talks about, like, the ripples that, that a good teacher can create. And, you know, I have this kid looking me up six years down the road, you know, still wanting to use the, the, this logo turtle that we built together. He told me that his grandfather still watches the video that I took of him at, at the talent show showing off, you know, his programming chops. So, it, you know, these ripples, like, it, it, it's really cool, like, you know, these kind of, like you hope they take it seriously, but at the time, like, you know, maybe inconsequential lesson, like really affects some of the kids and like has these lasting effects. So, you know, that it it's it, it, those rewards are few and far between, but when they pop up, it, it's cool to have happen.
0: In this moment where a lot of schools are moving or have been back full time for a while, but many have only been back full time since January. So for example, where I'm working, They've only gone back full time since January. And I believe this, all of this maker culture plays a critical role in that social emotional part of getting kids back together, communicating together. And this is why I was talking about focusing on those bridges between writer's lab and STEM lab or makerspace is, you know what made that group work so well. Well, they were able to build trust really quickly. They're able to communicate their ideas and then they had the agency to go after it. And so I think you're sort of packaging up a lot of those things, but I think this is part of our school renewal as we're all, you know, demasking and getting back face to face. These are, these I think are critical parts of that coming back together, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think maker education too really um, builds on the idea that there's multiple experts in the room. You know, it's not necessarily the teacher who knows all. That, that your peers are going to be figuring out things on the journey and and their resources as well and and you know creating a, a community that that shares and the successes with one another and and, and builds on one another's um, knowledge and success you know that that's really powerful cross-disciplinary we're back open let's you know. Let's let the games
0: begin again and I love all of this open source stuff that you offer and a lot of the other people that center around constructing modern knowledge. I think that's super important for keeping it going. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't get your books here because they're only in offered physically but when I'm yeah. in the States I'll try to pick up copies and bring them back and we can kind of scour. I love hunting just for cool projects and that other people have done to see how you can Adopt that for your space as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely check me out on Twitter. It's just Josh Burker, and like you'll see, you know, like retweets and and you know encouragement there. Cool, Josh. Thank you for taking a good chunk of your morning. Uh, hope you enjoy. my pleasure. Yeah, yeah, always fun to talk to you.